the the watch order that we're using for the the podcast is a specific series of episodes that are meant to induce madness and will trans my gender. Shh, that's supposed to be a secret. Oh shit! Uh, <laughs> I have the ultimate editorial control. I can cut you out. <laughs> I think that for me, whatever is left in, that's I think even funnier because like it just shows that like we in the spirit of the show espionage subterfuge counter narratives controlled opposition that kind of thing it all works together the less consistent we are the more we can say ah it's a spy it's a secret yeah it's yeah it's a secret It's another beautiful day in the village. You're listening to Local Service Only, a podcast about the prisoner. I am Helga from the Mysterious East. And I am Joe from the Decadent West. And How are you? We are talking. <laughs> <laughs> Fucked up immediately. I, 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 I purposefully uh decided to ask you a question before you could launch into the formalities because i want to know how you're doing today helga how are you doing in how's your day in the village today i am amazing i have been subjected to only the minimum amount of mind control drugs so i am feeling refreshed Mm, mm -hmm. uh and uh the way that we started this podcast is that uh, Joe, after the tenure on Zero to Zero ended, uh, went up to my apartment. It was a uh, rainy night, uh -huh. and uh, Joe was absolutely soaked from head to toe. And uh, they opened the door, uh, tears in their face, and I asked them, who hurt, who hurt you? <laughs> and that's how we started watching The Prisoner. <laughs> I think <laughs> I I just I just, just want to get out and say my tenure on zero to zero was wonderful. <laughs> the problem you want to know who hurt me when I was on zero to zero? Ben Stiller hurt me. <laughs> ben Stiller. And fucking William H. Macy and whoever fucking directed that movie Mystery Men hurt me. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, I cannot even imagine how hard it is for you to, to sit and watch dumb movies. I love uh, watching dumb movies, but even for me, Mystery Men was a fucking slog. Um, you know, I'll never look at Jeffrey Rush the same way again.
uh, and uh, we are going to talk about uh, the second episode of the show, Dance of the Dead. But before we talk about it, Joe, we must address something. Yes, we must. I have been receiving DMs, uh, courier messages, uh, pigeons, uh, private uh, signal messages encrypted through the most powerful encryption that NSA can buy. Uh, all asking the same question. Uh, why are we doing uh, Dance of the Dead and not like uh, Chimes of the Big Bang? And uh, to answer that question, yeah, uh, we have to go back, not to 1968, but to the 1950s. Mm. Uh, so, in the 1950s, uh, the cost of running a local television station became so cheap, relatively, that it started to be a problem that you can easily, cheaply run a local television station, but what do you actually fill it with? Uh, they solved that problem with... Uh, the advances in recording technology, which meant that now you could tape a TV show in a big studio, run the the uh, TV show once through like the big studio's channel, so that would be like CBS or BBC or ITV or something like that, uh, and then you would uh, ship it off to like smaller studios that would just like be running some kind of like uh, broadcasts just filling the airtime somehow and the, the TV studio would receive like a cut from that. That's called syndication. Are you following me that so far? That makes sense so far, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, uh, so uh, the process of syndication meant that uh, small TV studios didn't really care about uh, what order they put the TV series in, right? They were prioritizing like uh, if the episode is popular, then they will run it like twice, thrice, four times, right? Like way more often. And so the television studios that were producing this content uh, kind of didn't care about like uh, making a coherent plot either, right? Uh, like probably our generation still remembers like shows like uh, old cartoons like G.I. Joe or Dungeons and Dragons or like The Simpsons, right? They all had like this uh, rule that everything that happened in an episode had to be fit in like that episode only and not disrupt the status quo of all the other episodes after that. Yeah. Yeah, like Bart being the eternal eight-year-old that he is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are not talking about Bart, we're talking about The Prisoner. Mm -hmm. uh, the Prisoner... Mm -hmm. Uh, right, is no, no exception no. to this rule. In this rule, number six is being the eternal eight-year-old. <laughs> kind of. Uh, he um, Every episode starts with a brief explanation of what the prisoner is all about. Right? Uh, he uh, resigns from his definitely not MI6. Uh, he gets kidnapped into the village where, what do you want? Information. We want information. Uh, and like um, in this format, the prisoner was broadcast in Britain 
uh, by ITV and in America by CBS in two entirely different orders. Of course. And so when course. the fan clubs uh, for The Prisoner started appearing in the 1980s, uh, like people cottoned onto that fact and they started like deciding on their own watch orders for The Prisoner. This is now like a mini niche subculture. Interesting. Um, like, uh, you could have an order for, like, what uh, if you liked, like, an intended chronology, where, like, uh, the, the number six says, oh, I'm new here in one episode, and so that episode should obviously be, like, near the start, and the episodes where he's, like, self-assured should be near the end. Uh, or you could have, like, um, I don't know, three episode arcs uh, exploring a theme. Or... I guess you could have like a sort of a vinaigrette uh, of episodes in which uh, you have like a thinky episode and then an action episode and a thinky episode and an action episode. I kind of am not a fan of watch orders because mm-hmm. I think that like if you if you like try to figure out like the best watch order for the prisoner, you are largely staring into your own ass. <laughs> uh, but it just seems to me. Like, uh, making a show about the prisoner and not touching on watch orders uh, was kind of a waste. So I decided to pick one of the watch orders that was not the official one that's like on YouTube. And do that largely because I wanted to include this tangent. Uh, You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, what's the name of the watch order that we are using? We are not telling. Oh. Oh. So we want we want to keep the the listeners in the dark, not on like number six. Exactly. Okay. Uh, We are not numbers. We are free uh, men. No, I'm not a man. You're not. We're free. We're free. Some. We're we're we are free. We are we the are most free. free. That's right. <laughs> we're the most free. We're free of gender. That's right. Uh, and yes. Uh, so, uh, is there anything that you would want to contribute as a tangent, or should we just start into the episode? I say we start off. Uh, we start off with the synopsis. Um, it's 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 actually really um, pertinent that you brought up that there's like. A watch order and that every episode is somewhat self-contained because you know me having never seen the show before uh we get to the part in the opening sequence where number six is gassed in his apartment and wakes up in the island uh number two starts speaking to him but it's not number two who we met in the last uh episode it's a woman number two it's a woman it's it's a woman and she's saying you know she's saying the lines she's saying we want information information and then he asks her you know and that sort of like ties into the whole self-contained bit he asks her who she is and who number one is and she tells him you're number six so um yeah definitely it's kind of like um it adds to the surreality i think the idea that each episode is self-contained because you know, me, I'm already thinking to myself, well, is he being given amnestics? Is he being uh, cloned? Is he, you know, like any number of things could be happening that makes this person 
number six, keep asking the same questions over and over and over again. Um, and I think yes. that also she, she, she doesn't answer him directly about number one. Uh, she kind of just deflects. Yeah. Uh, which kind of introduces us to the, 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 the themes uh, of like uh, deception and misdirection that the series loves to play with. And also, we had two number sixes in the previous episode, right? But you, if you like uh, listening half like uh, with half an eye and half an ear, then you wouldn't like uh, straight up clock that. So now we're just yeah. like, this is a woman. You will be able to tell that this is a woman. And so number two is definitely like a, a, dif a different person each time. Please note. Yeah, very much so. And yeah, we had two number twos in the first episode, and now we have we have one just throughout the entirety of this episode. But presumably, we may or may not see her in the next episode. Um, we'll have to see uh, how that turns out when we watch when I watch the third episode. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, iconic opening sequence happens, the thunder crash, the gassing in the apartment, the waking up on the island, and then we get the, before we um, sort of start the episode proper, we get the title of the episode, Dance of the Dead, which I thought is a, you know, is an adequately uh, scary title for a, for a TV show that I'm watching in the last dying days of, of summer, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we we have six wake uh we 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 open on number 6's apartment, his his home and three guys in white coats. Uh they look like they're scientists/doctors. They come in and they have a piece of testing equipment and they're going to hook it up right to number 6 while he is sleeping uh in his bed. They put like yeah, this uh, that there's like a uh Great little shot that like we start on the uh, on like them walking into his apartment and like hooking up their equipment and then the camera pulls back and it's revealed that actually we weren't just watching that on like surveillance tape uh, with like bad quality we are actually watching a screen that another person is watching yes uh, yeah we're watching a doctor a man with with uh glasses and who sounds vaguely scottish um he is uh observing the screen uh, intently and uh after number 6 gets this um like headband with like electrodes looks like on them like attached to his head um another man who is standing next to the doctor says you know this is dangerous, you know, what's going on? This isn't what number two said we should do. And the the doctor says, uh, you won't get, uh, what, what did you say? We won't get answers if we, uh, we won't get results if we don't take risks, basically. Yeah, I think it's like also that this operation was unsanctioned. And so like he's operating on the uh, presumption that it's easier to ask uh, forgiveness than permission. Which is true, which is true, but uh, not necessarily the kind of behavior that we've seen out of, like, a subordinate of number two, somebody going against them and, like, going, like, like doing their own thing. Usually number two is, like, the director and of traffic and, like, nothing happens without them saying, without them saying so. And so um, this I thought was kind of, like, bizarre was that there's, like, this, this doctor character who seems to be going rogue 
already, that there's already cracks appearing within the context of the um the village like as a society um so number six gets hooked up to the uh to the testing equipment and then he uh sits up in bed and he's like sweating he looks panicked and he basically is like uh he's basically called on the phone by uh, the people who are standing in the uh, obser- observation room, which is the same... Is it the same location as the number two, like, dome? Or is it, like, the under-observatory? I think there's, like, a, I think there's uh, I'm not actually sure. I think there's, like, a, an observatory, there's the dome, and those are yeah. two different locations. There's some reuse of sets going on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, I was mesmerized by your bewitching voice. Uh, Thank so you. I didn't really interrupt. Yes, uh, I have referred to this machine that he's hooked up to as the dick sucking machine. <laughs> uh, I, uh, he is woken up, right? But nobody is concerned because he, while he's woken up, he is not really responding to the doctors that he's surrounded by. Uh, he is some like um, in this like uh, sort of asleep in sort of a wake state that sometimes happens like uh i guess he's like haunted by his own sleep paralysis demons yeah 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 in this case the sleep paralysis demons are scientists who are experimenting on him very 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 uh very common set of experiences to have um he answers the phone and the doctor basically has um like a man sitting standing in front of him like who's like very still and almost in like a trance like state himself he uh sort of puts the handset in his hand and before he make uh he enables push to talk he gives the man who is sitting down instructions on what exactly to say um and so he says you know um it's me it's me old man like uh, number six, you have to tell them everything. I'm listening to this recording. I'm I'm recording this phone call. So why don't you just tell me everything that you know? You know, kind yes. of thing. Uh, like, the man's uh, name is Dutton, Roland Walter Dutton. Yes. Uh, we'll see him again uh, in this episode. Uh, we'll yes, be seeing he's him. He's vegetative. Yeah, we'll be seeing him. Uh, he's in this episode. Uh, uh, he's uh, dressed in a sort of like a cozy-ish sweater. Uh, yeah, like... yeah. He's he's like wearing pajamas, but he's also wearing like a sweater over top. Mm, yes, I I love push to talk. By the way, uh, I I love that. Like I can be up to shenanigans while talking to my friends on Discord uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I have push to talk enabled, and uh, they will only hear me if I want them to hear me. Uh, as you probably know. As you yes. Discord with me. Yes, uh, ma- yes. Many, many times I have thought to myself, "What, what, what's Helga doing when Push to Talk isn't on?" And usually, my the first thing that comes to my mind is, uh, she's probably just grabbing something out of her loud ass fridge." That is true. Uh, my fridge <laughs> is loud, and I had to delete it from the previous recording. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Also, like uh, uh, whenever I like press Push to Talk, it's a commitment. Uh, so, like, like, because 
my audio interface loves to do this thing where like it resets to like 100% volume with bass boost. Uh, so everyone in in the call is temporarily deafened by me saying hello my darlings something like that yeah Uh, yeah great stuff Dutton is truly ahead of its time yeah yeah very much so so um yeah uh despite uh Dutton giving uh six a bunch of prompts to basically like you know, give up the ghost and give up the information. The information! Um, number six resists, and he's basically like, no, I, I don't want to answer, like, you know, like, who's, like, who's the committee? Who are you? Like, this is bullshit, you know? And then, um, you know, the doctor tries to get Dutton to sort of pressure him some more, and, the man with the doctor basically is like, you, you gotta stop this. Like, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna break him, you know, that kind of thing. And the doctor's like, yeah, 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 I'll take full responsibility for, for whatever happens. Like, basically, he's a sicko. He, he wants to break number, number six. Um, but then, uh, just as things are getting, you know, good and just as number six resists for the last time, number two shows up. Uh, number two is, how do I describe her? She's small. She kind of reminds me of one of the henchmen from Austin Powers. I cannot remember which one, though. She has, like, this, like, she has, like, short hair as well. She's got, like, a great look. Um, but basically... It's, it's an amazing look, but it's, it's like, it's androgynous. Very. Yeah. Fancy. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. So, uh... She's got salt and pepper hair. Uh, she's got like a mischievous smile that she wears all the time. Yeah. Uh, and yes, uh, she stops the proceedings. Yeah. Uh, and number six falls unconscious immediately. Uh, yeah. And her introduction is that uh, they want to not just break number six. Uh, she wants him to have a future with the organization. Yes, yeah, uh, she, wa- she wants him won over. Yes, she wants him won over, and he's not like the others because he's a very special boy. That's right. Uh, number six wakes up in the morning. It's another beautiful day in the village. Uh-huh. Uh, and he, he like, uh, uh, gets uh, his coffee warmed up and asks the television that's on in a room uh, whether he slept well. The television has, like, number two on it, and uh, she responds that uh, he slept like a baby. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, she's watching him already. I don't know how I would feel if I woke up and I and I saw, like, ostensibly my torturer slash boss watching me sleep. You know, I feel bad enough already waking up and still being, like, in a Discord call. You know, like, like, even if I'm on mute and my face isn't visible, I still feel bad having to wake up to experience that. I can't imagine what it would be like to wake up and there's an androgynous woman looking at me. Um, I am going to say, <laughs> I, I reserve the right to be silent <laughs> about the, the question of androgynous women looking over me. <laughs> That's right. Um. Uh, we, we do, uh, re-enter the, uh, the observation room where number two is hanging out and she is on the call with somebody, uh, and she says that 
all will be well. And uh, she kind of like makes references to like plans tonight and whatever. And then uh, she sort of like makes a face that you know she's she's making like mischievous, like small yet knowing clown face, basically at the screen. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, back at number six house, a bunch of old timey like like period actors walk in or or uh specifically uh one uh the maid shows up and she's wearing like a victorian like garden party dress it's really bizarre yeah is it just me or does the maid look like simone de rochefort (laughs) you know what a little bit she looks a little bit like she's got these these like wild eyebrows um, not like wild, but like she's she like she has very dramatic eyebrows. I would say like the the curvature of them is very is very dramatic and and yeah. and piercing. Um, and she, she show- has like a very different uh, um, interaction sort of style with number six than number two does. Right? Uh, yeah. Kind of like he he kind of treats women in his life like shit all the time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but he treats uh, number two uh, in a sort of like joking repartee, ha 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 ha. But you are still my prisoner. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the implication for number two. And uh, the maid, however, he like I don't know that he straight up like verbally abuses her, but he's like very very prickly. Uh, yeah, like, the maids yeah. come and go. I stay. <laughs> Yeah, very much so. Yeah, he's he's a very kind of like um he's you know, you could forgive his tone for being like fed up with this shit, but also like he you would you could also imagine that he just speaks to most women who are subordinate to him this way where he's like get out of my sight. Whether or not you are torturing me, uh, I am not going to be mean to a service worker. <laughs> you know, and yeah. he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No tip, no nothing. Just like, yeah, like he's he's not even necessarily like objectifying them. He's just like, he's just like uh, completely aghast at the fact that they exist in his space at all. Basically, um, the maid leaves. You know, having you know done her business and dropping off breakfast or whatever, and then uh. An old man shows up and he uh, has an envelope. Uh, he says to number six, uh, would you mind putting your number on this page, number six? And <laughs> number six just kind of looks at him and then closes the door. I thought that that was pr- pretty funny. <laughs> like, 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 how would you, how would you sign your number? <laughs> it's such a ridiculous uh, idea. Yeah, uh, very rude, again, to a UPS worker. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. He, that, that card that he delivered uh, is an invitation to a carnival and dance. That's what, yes. that's what the card says in big block, uh, block letters. Yeah. Uh, the- some time passes uh, after that. Like There's like a camera card to indicate time. Mm-hmm. And we see uh, number six observing a march of the Technicolor kind of people from the previous episode. Yeah, uh, very much so. They're all dressed in like bright, bright uh, uh, red and blue and I guess brown uh, colors. And uh, yeah, he just watches them while he's petting a stray cat 
Uh, yeah. Who is a recurring character in this episode? Black Spy yes. Cat. Hello. Played by, unfortunately, I don't have that information. Yeah. Yeah. Played by um, <laughs> number seven. <laughs> played by Redacted. Mr. Wiggins. Yeah, I I don't believe uh, the cat even gets a credit, to be honest, which is uh, kind of a shame. But, uh, you know, that that's just how things were in the 60s. Animals didn't have um, uh, representation in films that was, like, completely um, legitimizing and, and honoring of their talents. Um, this is before the whole debacle with uh, Godfather Part 2 horsehead, right? <laughs> Yes, it, it would have been. Also, I believe that happens in the first film. Oh, uh, right. Well, the, the point is that uh, they could have just as well like uh, taken the cat out the back after shooting and shot her. Uh, <laughs> oh, no! Wow, well, that, that is dark for me. Uh, yes. And number two uh, walks up out, outside of the frame, also wanting to pet the cat, and uh, reiterates the invitation to the carnival. Uh, there's like a, a witty repartee yeah. between them. There's like a lot of like really good dialogue in this episode that I just want to quote verbatim, but like it will take too long uh, about the nature of choice. Because like yeah. uh, he, he can't really choose, but they still value democracy in name only. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's more convenient that way. That's right. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, especially between, uh, number six and number two, it, it's definitely a lot more, um, give and take, sort of. You sort of get this, the sense that, like, um, that number six is a little bit, feels a little bit, feels a lot more comfortable, um, being outwardly defiant, uh, in a more playful way with, uh, uh, number two, which maybe because she's a woman, um, maybe he's just not taking her that seriously, but she's always able to sort of like put it back in. It's like, like sort of, she's, she's able to play that sort of like tennis match with him where he'll say something and then she'll say something back and he'll, and he'll like, like make a remark about what she said and, and you know, it'll go round and round. Like they, it's very like, uh, tit for tat in terms of dialogue in this, in this episode. And it's, it's very good. Um, so she's like talking about how like the carnival will be a dress carnival and like you can wear a costume and be whoever you want to be, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, of course with it, and then he says, you know, you know, like, like within reason, as long as it goes with, um, the, the village culture. Right. And she's like, well, yeah, sure. And then number six sees, um, these, like, uh, these, these like women who are like sitting on some tables next to the, um, next to, next to him and next to number two. And she's like, oh yeah, you could bring, uh, any one of these, uh, these women basically with you to, uh, to, uh, to the carnival, you know, settle down with one of them even. And then he sees, um, like this, like nervous looking brunette woman who's like, sort of like by herself at a table sort of behind them. And he asks, like, he asks number two, like, who, who, uh, what about her? And then, is she uh, amicable? And then he sa- and then she says, 
Uh, rather, she 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 is quite unsuitable, and so uh, I'm sorry, Joe, but like in in what world is she a brunette? I, I, oh, oh, I I'm gonna pull up she, the, the, the video. Oh God, it. here we go. Because she, I am definitely 100 percent sure that she's a blonde. I think she has light. I think she has light brown hair, but it's tied up in like this like white um cap basically she's like she looks like an employee basically yeah she's wearing that cap the entire time except the ending and in the ending she has blonde hair uh interesting right she is number 240 and she uh rounds up our trio of maiden mother and crone oh uh, god the, this episode's secondary theme is kind of women am i right <laughs> uh, like yeah. uh, the maiden is her, and the uh, mother is the maid, and the crone is obviously number two. Uh -huh. uh, and the pool of these women as a uh, uh, sort of conformizing force within society right. is uh, sort of like a, a, th a thing that uh, number six has to struggle with. I don't really agree with the idea that women are just like... Uh, a way for society to control us. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was a popular thing in the sixties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gotta say, pretty problematic of the sixties to put forward that idea. <laughs> but, but uh, no, uh, no, yeah, I totally agree. It's like um, the idea of like the overbearing mother, and like the the idea that like child rearing was came with the explicit instruction to not show children too much affection um, because it would damage them was, is like so wild to me to think about now. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, that's just, that's a conversation for another time. Um, as soon as number two describes this woman as unsuitable though, number six just beelines it right for her table. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, she's, uh, she is number six's observer. Um, and she kind of like doesn't really expect for him to like approach her. And so number six starts putting on his best moves with her. He asks her, you know, who she is. And she, she responds with questions are a burden, um, onto to oneself others and answers, to others. Yeah. Uh, answers, answers are a prison to oneself. Uh -huh. A sentence that he completes. Yes. Uh, See, they're already getting along perfectly fine. There's nothing problematic going on here at all. And <laughs> no, no, this is this is pretty this is pretty uncomfortable to watch. And then he asks her, "What did she do to end up here?" And then uh, she repeats the she repeats the line, um, and she basically is like, "All right, well, you know." Obviously, this is this guy's not going to stop. So she, she gets um she gets up and she walks away. Number six follows her. Um, uh, a big balloon thing kind of gets in his way, and she like runs across this bridge and she runs into a building. And when the big white balloon gets out of his way, he crosses the bridge and he tries to enter the same building, and he's blocked by what I can only describe as a sound jump scare? 
What do, what do you think this yeah, was? I, I, wrote, I wrote down, uh, he cannot follow because of movie magic. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yes, uh, it's, as, I think the implication is sort of a force field. A technician walks by him and like explains that, oh, you can't enter the town hall because it's like uh, prohibited. Uh, it's uh-huh. quite picky on what it lets in. Uh, the implication yeah. of the town hall is a thinking being is an uncomfortable one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which which made me write down the phrase, uh, the village is number one. <laughs> you know, so... It's its own character, yeah. So, so put a pin in that. Uh, I think the village is number one, and um, I'm going to get down to the bottom of this before the show tells me whether I'm right or wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the last episode. <laughs> oh God! Um, and then, so yeah, he yeah, the building is very picky about you know who lets in, you know. So the deep state is basically suppressing number six uh, as usual, and then we cut to inside the control room with um, uh, two forty. Uh, so she's on like she's she's like watching the screen, and then. Another uh, woman comes in and she sort of like uh, kind of like she walks into the thing and she sort of like is like she ex- she exclaims like, I can't believe number six tried to follow you or, you know, whatever. And she kind of like backhandedly implies that like it's her fault. Kind of. It's very yeah, that catty. Yeah. It's, it's it, again, what I'm sort of like learning in this episode is like. Wow, like the like the village like like uh social order is not very stable. Who would have thought like all these people who are possibly spies all living in together are they're going to get they're they're going to do some subterfuge. It basically reminded me of like or it's kind of thinking it's giving me this idea of like big brother but they're all spies. <laughs> like, 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 like a reality TV show, like the Real Housewives of the Village or something, where instead of it being like the 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 the, the housewives of like these like rich families or whatever, it's like just a bunch of secret agents just fucking each other. Oh, yeah, man. it's uh, the world's most dangerous game of mafia. The Prisoner uh, is the original Love Island. I gotta say. Uh, yeah. I uh, I think there's like either here or like slightly afterwards as like a conversation between uh, this number I did not write her number down and uh, number 240 mm-hmm. uh, where like uh, it's implied that uh, number 240 used to watch another person I think it was like oh, number yes. 38 Yes. And that person died and number 240 just wasn't told. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like she had a parasocial relationship with him. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like my NSA agent having a, a parasocial relationship with me. And you know it's going to be the one of the worst kinds cuz like he definitely does know more about me than he should, but um, you know, that still doesn't mean that we're in an actual relationship. Kevin if you're listening right now, I don't know you, Kevin, and I would kindly respect that you acknowledged my boundaries and become be my fan, but be my fan from afar. You know what I mean? I'm glad we're doing the opposite parasocial relationship bit to kill James Bond. 
a podcast that we kind of in conversation with. Uh-huh. Hence we- me saying a woman. Yeah, I would. Often. Yeah, I would love to be literally in conversation with Kill James Bond, but yeah, because we are in a social relationship with them. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after this conversation, where yeah, the, this mysterious woman says to two forty, "Well, he didn't know you," you know, when you know when uh, after two forty is distraught at his death. Uh, we cut to number six, who is uh, hanging out outside of his uh, his house, and he is petting the cat once again outside of the uh, outside of the ha- of the um, the uh, the apartment. And then uh, they we cut to he sort of moves inside. Uh, before we move inside, I have to know that this shot, like uh, I think in the original, like a uh, uh, small size television screen it wasn't obvious mm-hmm. but like in hd it's super obvious that this shot was not made on location it's like uh, the backdrop of this shot uh which is supposed to be like the, the like uh winding staircases of the village yeah it's just obviously a matte painting yeah it and reminds so me of like Willy Wonka. a little bit yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah um but uh, once the matte painting becomes uh, a real life set, number six brings uh, the the black cat that he was petting earlier into uh, his his home, and uh, immediately starts pouring what I can only describe as KFC macaroni salad style <laughs> containers of milk into a saucepan for the cat. You know, because, like, I really can't describe them as anything else. This is pretty much exactly what they looked like to me. They looked like the the the, the salad cup, styrofoam cups that you get um, macaroni salad in, in from KFC. Um, you, you hit the nail on the head with that one, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the maid walks in. She's super uh-huh. displeased. Like, it's the rules that you can't keep a bed in there. And, like, it's not her fault. But it's that the rules exist, but, you know, he's still angry with her. And uh, he launches into, like, a spirited tirade about, uh, okay, so where did this cat come from? Also, while we're on the subject, where did the milk, the ice cream, and the aspirins come from? Uh-huh. Uh, what are the means of production, the maid? <laughs> That's right. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism, maid. You know, and then, and then, of course, number cut to number two being like, yes, yes, he's finally embracing communism. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that, um, yeah, it's an interesting sort of like rhetorical question, but it also definitely like sort of um, like raised like alarms for me. It's like, where did this cat come from? Because I don't think there are any other animals in the first episode, right? Absolutely not, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he says, Oh, do they are they delivered at night? And he says, I've never seen a night. All I do is I sleep. sleep. Yeah. Which, um, you know, we've all had fucked up sleep schedules, you know. I I I've I was in college once. You know, I I am currently recording this at three thirty a.m. Oh god! Oh god! Oh! Do not question my life choices. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Okay. I. <laughs> I. Yeah. 
no judgment from from me whatsoever. Um, so yeah, he he realized he you know he exclaims to himself and but also to everybody who he knows is listening in. All he does is sleep, and then um, when he is you know we cut to like later in the day, uh, he is sort of like hanging out in his apart in his uh, I keep saying his apartment, but it's definitely a home. Um, he has like his um tea delivered but he doesn't drink it um he's still in his like regular clothes he's not in like his like sleep clothes and uh the observer turns the lights off but he's still up and then um he basically there's like this like fucking lamp this fucking lamp with this with this lampshade on it it's like the worst version of like one of those like sun lamps that people have now where it's like you know maybe it does something for you maybe it doesn't but like it's this it's this single lamp kind of like uh like a like a really big one kind of like the pixar like lamp mascot but it's big and it's just strobing very slowly and there's just like a voice coming from it saying like sleep yeah, i think it's like number number two voice uh yeah, it, yeah sleep it sounds like it and it's and that sucks like the, the i cannot imagine a worse sleep aid ever <laughs> like like what like like the thing is, is that I'm the kind of person who can fall asleep pretty much to anything. Um, and, like, I think that would actively keep me from falling asleep because it's so um, god-awful to listen to. Just, like, a woman casually saying the word sleep, sleep well, over and over again. I'd rather be sissified than... I'd rather listen to sissification, like... <laughs> hypnosis tapes than that <laughs> like, like, be- let me try my hand at that oh, Joe. take estrogen joe <laughs> you can't make uh, me you can't make me uh yeah he tries the door to like walk out and it's locked and he escapes through the window yeah 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 uh there's like a little bit of tension between uh, the um, scientist and the number two. Yeah. Uh, about like the uh, nature of the scientist's work, I think. He's very like uh, nervous about the fact that he kind of crossed the line before. Yeah. But she just uh, like makes it seem like nothing ever happened. Yeah. Uh, number two, number 240, and the cat. Uh, walking around like uh, number two's desk, I'll yeah. watch uh, number six run to the beach while uh, the white latex ball. Uh, its official name is Rover. I don't remember if we gave it a name. Uh, no, I don't think so. And I don't think it's. I, I was it named in the first episode. I think so. I think number I two think, says. I don't think it's ever named in anything except like the supplemental materials. See, that's interesting because I think I remember hearing number two say its name after it took that guy who was like, who, who ran away during freeze time in the first episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I don't think so. But, I, I but I'm not sure. Like, but I'm not sure. That yeah. It was existing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, they're not really worried 
Like uh, number number six is a shitty spy. Uh, like where <laughs> yeah. else is it gonna go? She uh, she she literally says he's on he he's he's on discipline. It's so fucking funny. There's also did you notice um right before Rover shows up on the screen behind um behind number two and the observer. There's that scene where a bubble is formed under the water and then it rises to the to the top of the screen and then we cut to Rover appear, uh, appearing on the beach. I think that that's oh, yeah, how that, it works. Yes, that's that's kind of like a, a recurring um, stock footage thing in uh, in the prisoner. Yeah. Uh, that the, the Rover just kind of bubbles up from below. Uh, yeah. Like some sort of like Leviathan from uh, uh from the depths. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, Rover eventually relents. There's like a beautiful shot of the sunset, uh, of sunrise, I think sunrise. Uh, yeah. With like uh, uh, number six on his knees and Rover like uh, on the beach. Yeah. And uh, Rover like uh, runs, uh, floats away. Bounces, uh, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and uh, number six goes to sleep on the beach in his street clothes. Yeah. Have you ever been to the beach at nighttime? I have. I associate the beach at nighttime with uh, deep conversations and occasionally staring my toes to shit on the broken bottles that some asshole left. Oof. Yikes. Yeah, I... I recently had a, a vacation, um, sort of like a getaway out of the city with my partner, and uh, the place that we were staying at was really close to a beach, and this beach was no lo- no bigger than like the length of a house, but like nobody was on it, and it was amazing. We had a we had we were able to hang out on the beach pretty much all day, and then we hung out there. Um, when it became nighttime and the street lights are pretty were pretty far away from the beach so when it became nighttime it was like pitch black there was like no light coming like like toronto was on the other was like way on the other side of the lake from us and we couldn't even see the lights from toronto where we were it was great no moonlight no moonlight because there was a lot of cloud coverage yeah yeah, I would re- highly recommend going to the beach at night. It's a it's a pretty good time. Uh, wear good shoes, though, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's uh, you know he you know sleeps on the on the beach overnight, and then he wakes up and he sees the body of a person drowned has been like is like is like now on the beach, kind of like a little bit ways away from him. I thought this body looked just like him. I thought that I like I immediately thought like oh fuck they are cloning him. Oh my god, I knew it. You know, I was right the whole time, you know, but we see him, he approaches the body and he sort of like pulls out stuff. He loots the body, basically pulls out a wallet and there's uh, a photo of a man and a woman, presumably the man in the photo is him the 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 person who's whose dead body he's looting and then um he checks his pockets a little bit more and he finds the strangest looking transistor radio i've ever seen it has three dials on the side it's a perfect square and it has what appears to be a number pad on the front it's bizarre 
It looks very it's much like. Yeah, yeah, it looks like this was the most doohickey ass fucking radio to ever be be constructed. And this is the 1960s. This is the era of the do the, the doohickey, like you know. And so he, uh, you know, he 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 turns on the the radio, and you know, he gets like a little bit of static pushback, and then he drags the body into a cave, and then he takes the radio with him back to his house. Um, we cut to carnival. <laughs> yeah, we cut to the town crier. He's, uh, he's banging his bell, and he declares a carnival. And he's like, "Yeah, do it." You know, like we're, we're having carnival. Get excited. Get fucking hype. Um, Firefest uh, yeah. is gonna be lit this year. You know, this like a uh, uh, consistent thing that uh, this show does, which is. Like, while this show is very recognizably English mm -hmm. in its, uh, like, uh, presentation, uh, it's still, like, uh, it, it tries to, like, make the costumes and the cultures and stuff like that, like, sort of non-distinct. So, this is, uh, this is, like, a, uh, if we're going for Dance of the Dead, this is, like, a Delos Moretus. Like, uh, this is Purim. This is Halloween. This is the yeah. Italian carnival. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, there's uh, they they are kind of dressed very ambiguously for each one. Uh, it's fun by decree. Yeah, fun by uh, decree for sure. Yeah, and and <laughs> what becomes uh, kind of concerning almost pretty much immediately is when we see the villagers in their costumes. It appears that a theme has emerged among some of them, which is to be as culturally insensitive as possible, and which I think is definitely more English specific than any other than anything else. <laughs> I think yeah, that it sure is. Yeah, we definitely see some shit later later on that I will never forgive the show for. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. We we see them in close up, and we realize that some of them are teenagers. By the way, yeah, which is like kind of wild. Like the idea that, like, okay, so if this if the village is entirely occupied by spies, that means that there are spy children, and that also means that eventually, it, it, were the were the village to continue existing, that Agent Cody Banks and the kids from Spy Kids could appear on the show. Who else would appear Good on God. on who would also appear on 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 Child Prisoner? Uh Fillmore from the cartoon Fillmore. Um uh, uh Harriet the Spy. Oh, you the whole list. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking of people off the top of my head who are like precocious little children who also do spy slash journalism. Uh, uh San Diego? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, Carmen San Diego, she's a little bit older, but definitely Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew would definitely end up on, on the island, for oh, yeah, sure. absolutely. The Hardy uh, Boys. Everyone who says, uh, uh, be gay, do crimes, demolish capitalism. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, half the people I follow online would end up <laughs> on the on in the village, which, you know, is, you know, now it's starting to sound like a party. But either way... Um, yeah, we we we're, we cut back to um uh number six returning to his house. The maid's there. Um, she's not dressed as <laughs> someone from the fucking the seventeen hundreds or whatever. She's now dressed up like 
a normal maid, which I think is still kind of funny that she's like, um, that she's like, that she's now dressed up like a stereotypical maid, which is like a costume that people would wear to a, to a costume party now, like slutty maid or whatever. Um, he's received his own costume. It is not a slutty costume. However, it is just his own suit. Boo. Boo! <laughs> Get it fucking original. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he's not a slutty maid. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, there's uh, like a cute little exchange between him and the maid. Uh-huh. And it's like he discovers that it's like a costume. Uh, somebody picked those costumes for the villagers. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like a game. Uh-huh. And his costume is his old suit from his like agency days. Yeah. Uh, which, according to him, means he's still himself. Uh, lucky you, says the maid, and walks out. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. She walks out, and then number six is like he puts his um, suit in his closet, and then he heads out to the sort of like. I guess, like, walkway sort of area to use the radio again. But, uh, again, the threat of this fucking show, that 60s spies were terrible because he's got a communications device that he's using out in the middle of the open where everybody can see him. And, indeed, he starts listening in on on some sort of... Uh, uh, transmission where the transmission is basically like saying like uh, we must grasp the nettle even though it may cut our hands only through pain can we, ach- we achieve freedom or whatever yeah it's like it's like a mix up I think I heard some Russian speech before that and like very indistinct voices interesting uh, interesting yeah, I think it's like just recorded AM radio shit uh, from the 60s, which was chock full of spy stuff. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and um, right, uh, the uh, broadcast that he's listening to is kind of like a mix-up between uh, propaganda radio from North Korea and uh, number station. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, but his reverie uh, while looking into the sea is immediately interrupted by number two and number 240 uh, who like converse between each other oh these stairs are really too long uh, <laughs> yeah. just casually walking in walking like uh, yeah walking in on him uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah. She, they walk in and he's like um, he immediately turns it to some fucking station that starts giving out like it's like a educational program, and then she, uh, uh, number two hears this educational program, and she turns off the radio, and she's like, uh, "Not really that useful." <laughs> she hates educational programming. <laughs> number two says, "Don't teach me anything." Um, uh, and so yeah, so she confiscates the radio, and uh, basically, she kind of like implies like. You know, this is very naughty. You're not allowed to listen to educational programs. And then, um, you know, she kind of, and, and the, the observer, 240, she's there and she's basically like, you know, 
trying to like like cover her own ass by saying like yeah like he was like i couldn't see him on the uh observation deck thing last night and you said that he was incompetent so don't try and push this all back on me because he has a radio now um but anyway like uh, like uh number two basically doesn't really elaborate any further she's just stirring the pot at this point she's being a sicko and then um as uh walks off yeah right uh with with like the radio she like asks uh, number six to accompany him but it wasn't really like it's not really required she still like takes the radio and sort of like great little gesture of uh, uh like soft power i guess uh sort of like yeah she can take the radio and he can't really do anything about it yeah uh despite like being bigger and stronger than her mm-hmm. uh and uh he like tries to chat up uh number 240 and uh it's uh it's very npc dialogue i guess yeah he just like keeps giving off this box that's uh, like out of context and way too dramatic for the scene that she's in. Yeah. Uh, she even gives like Commander Shepard's I should go uh, <laughs> at the end. Uh, yeah. Uh, and after that, uh, number six uh, walks up to the uh, mock ship that's aground from the previous episode. Yeah. Uh, takes uh, its uh, uh, life preserver and uh, Runs off to his cave. Yeah. Uh, where he straps up uh, the corpse uh, with like a handwritten message uh, saying like, oh, I'm trapped on this island or something like that. Yeah, he he, like, he writes a note and he but he also includes like a hand drawn map of the island that he's created and a photo of himself that he has. Yeah, it's a uh, great message in a bottle, except the bottle is a corpse. Uh, he wraps up, <laughs> yeah. that up in plastic and uh, sets the body off to float. And when he does that, he turns around and he sees uh, Roland Walter Dutton. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, Dutton is like you, of all the people. And then... Um, you know, they start to have a conversation about how long they've been there. Number six says, I haven't been here very long at all. Uh, Dutton has been here for a little bit uh, longer, but he, for some reason he wasn't around before because he was in, he was like being interrogated and he, uh, he basically, uh, like implies like that he, uh, told them basically everything that they wanted to hear, um, but that they don't buy it, basically, that they don't really, like, believe him. And then, because now that he's given up everything that he knows and they don't believe him, he thinks he's going to die soon. Um, yeah, uh, they're kind of like, uh, probably they're turning his brain into soup with the dick-sucking machine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. But uh yeah, he's been released like a sort of like a conscientious release uh like for 72 hours to reconsider the beauty of the village. Uh-huh. Uh the after that there's like a great little scene uh between uh number 6 and number 2 on the beach. Like yeah. number 6 is in uh, in uh a tuxedo and number 2 is asking him like whether he's waiting on a ghost. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, number two shows up dressed as Peter Pan, which I think was a little on the nose, but uh, you know what? Uh, definitely suited the uh the actor who plays number two um definitely like fits like what i imagine like some casting of peter pan would involve is like we have an androgynous looking person let's give them the uh the 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 whimsical fairy ish person um, yeah, definitely uh it's 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 a costume that a is very fairy and whimsical and b makes me immediately want to ask this person okay so what's your pronouns <laughs> yeah um yeah i i think that that's uh yeah definitely accurate uh she he says he says he's trying to look for the world or something he tries to like like he's trying to see the world and she says i am your world now basically which wasn't really like the zinger that it could have been but Definitely amps up kind of, like, what's been happening over this episode, which is that, like, number two, despite being a woman in the eyes of um, number six, is still formidable foe. And what's interesting is that she considers him somebody who would be valuable to their organization, but she still is, like... So she kind of has, like, this thing where she... Keeps him on a loose leash, but she's still in his face the whole time. I think that that's really kind of interesting. She doesn't let him forget that he's, like, uh, not in control. Yeah. Uh, It's it's sort of, like, a soft but, like, uh, insistent way. Yes, very much so. And we got to the carnival, uh, where everybody's looking at uh, number six. And number two uh, greets them all, saying, tonight's for dancing. To which nobody starts dancing. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable scene where you have all these people dressed up in uh, costumes of various offensive uh, levels. And uh, and um, uh, they're all sort of like standing in this corridor. And number two and number six make their way through the, the corridor lined with costumed guests and then it's not until they reach the collection of um uh violin violinists that uh the music starts and people start to uh start dancing it's the 60s nobody knows how to fucking dance it's very funny to see there are some people who just start like running around the room uh and (laughs) it's yeah it's it's definitely something pretty funny uh oh by the way the the carnival is taking place in the town hall is that right yeah uh it is taking place in town hall where like they they are invited there by like special decree so now the force field is no longer a concern yes Uh, i am currently like i pulled up the scene uh like uh, so that i could refresh my memory and yeah i could definitely see what the fuck you mean with the costumes huh uh-huh. There's uh, some uh-huh. uh, very sensitive representations of uh, Native American culture. That's right. Let's just say. That's right. We it's it's basically Bonnaroo. Imagine or or um or uh, uh or Coachella, but instead of it being a place where people go to get fucked up, it's instead 
a, a, a carnival taking place in a town hall where, and, and there's just, and there's only one guy dressed up like a Native American stereotype. Um, <laughs> rather than a bunch of, than an army of white women. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, you know, uh, pretty jarring to look at. And, and yet, you know, I guess part of my, my, I guess part of the, my feeling about this is that, um, everybody's costume was assigned to them. So if you got assigned the Native American costume, you would think to yourself, well, this is abhorrent. I would never wear this. But also, you didn't pick the costume. So, so, so obviously someone here just felt like they had plausible deniability and it was like, ah, fuck it. I'll just have like a Native American. What's the worst that could happen? It's not like there are any here. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say that it's a white boys club because there's a lot of women in the village. Uh, but it is very much a white people's club. I, yeah. I think the only non-white person we have seen in this entire show was the taxi driver, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, I believe so. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, number two, like after some discussion of the wine, which is too boring to repeat. Oh, my God. Uh, pulls up number 240, uh, who is dressed in, um, uh, I don't know, German milkmaid costume, I guess. <laughs> vague, vague traditional uh, kind of sex appeal uh, women's uh, costume. Uh, uh, number two forty is dressed like Bo Peep. Are you are, are you familiar nice. with Are you familiar with Little Bo Peep, Helga? I have I have never heard of Little Bo Peep. Uh well well. Uh, part of her story is uh, iterated and illustrated by number uh, by number six when she is introduced as uh, Little Bo Peep. Um, uh, number six responds, "Who could always find her sheep?" Um, and so that's a spin off of Little Bo Peep, which is a which is a character from a nursery rhyme. Uh, where uh there's this there's this like shepherd little bo peep who has lost her sheep right yeah uh she's very intent on keeping uh number six in her sights yes uh, i don't know that she's really wearing a costume that a little bo peep would wear but whatever uh, <laughs> one thing to note is that all of these costumes that people wear sensitive and insensitive alike uh none of them have the numbers no. And no. nobody refers to each other by number in this entire carnival. Yeah. Uh, there's even a line, like, um, further on, saying, like, we don't use names here. And honest, what, they don't use numbers either. They are faces are not covered, like the traditional car carnival would, but the numbers are gone, which means that their roles are kind of gone, but not really, because, like... They, they they still kind of have to perform them under the pain of death. Exactly, exactly. Um, what do you think? Uh, let's say that you're responsible for making sure that every everything on the village is transformed, but you're responsible for Rover. What do you dress Rover up as uh, for the uh, the carnival? Kirby. 
Yeah, Kirby. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes that sense. Is. Being able being able to absorb the 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 corporeal forms of other people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd say maybe a Voltorb would be would be another one. The Pokemon, um, a, a Pokeball. Let me let me see that. Yeah, Voltorb is pretty, oh, yeah. pretty simple. Pretty simple. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Rover as Kirby would be an, an, an is a inspired choice. Gotta say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number six is very uncomfortable with women in this episode. Not so much with number two, but certainly with number two forty and the maid. Uh, yes. He kind of has like a very stilted mode of uh, walking and like presentation. Uh, which I guess is, uh, I guess is like a derivative of the feeling that like, uh, women are there to control him. Uh, like when he like lets go of this feeling, he is, uh, often violent with women. Yeah. He is often controlling of women himself. Uh, but he's never stilted. Yeah. Uh, in this episode he's very, very, very much is. Yeah, uh, he walks out of the carnival. Uh, he dons like a disguise, uh, very Hitman Forty Seven uh, doctor <laughs> yeah. disguise with glasses uh, and a big lab the, coat. Yeah, the the big lab coat has like a big number on it, which is not number six. Yeah, um, he like stumbles as backwards into receiving a termination order for. Uh, Roland Walter Dutton. Yeah. Yeah. He receives this from a woman who um, basically wants to get that message to number two. He intercepts the termination order. He puts it in his pocket. Um, he goes to a door. He goes into a little room, which opens up into uh, a morgue. Uh, and in the third drawer that he checks, there is indeed uh, the drowned man's body from before uh sands the life belt oh i didn't Um, clog that yeah yeah um and so what basically happens is is as he's checking over the body the cat and number two are close behind uh the cat uh basically says number two basically implies yeah yeah the the cat implies that number two Basic that uh, sorry, number two implies that the cat works for her, and like is a agent and is like part of her like crew, and I thought that that was so fucking wonderful that 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 the cat it was like a snitch basically and is able to track a number a number six, um number number six all but says never trust a pussy. <laughs> no, like, no, he says never trust a woman, especially the four-legged ones. <laughs> I, I, uh, no, I think he says even the ones with four legs. It's like, okay, buddy, fucking. So someone needs to show him Ariel gets later gets leg needs legs or whatever. Like he, he would be <laughs> furious. Um, oh boy. But uh, uh yeah, so basically now that like this body has been recovered, now number six will be like basically number two basically implies that the body is gonna be altered to look like number six and 
will now be basically declared officially dead by whoever finds this body later on. Yeah, I think the implication is that, like, they're gonna send it into the ocean. Yeah. The same way that he sent it into the ocean. Yeah, but with with his face, yeah. Yeah, they will redact him, and they will redact you, number six. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And, yeah, that's, uh, like, uh, number two keeps giving us zingers. Uh, like, uh, hold on, let me, let me just pull this one up. She says, uh, uh, you can, like, he, he says something about trust and she replies with, like, uh, you can trust anyone and you will in time. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, They go back to, uh, they go back to the dance floor, Mm -hmm. uh, where it turns out that the cabaret that number two promised uh, a while back is actually him. He's the entertainment. Yeah. Uh, they uh, like set up sort of a kangaroo court yeah. rem- uh, reminiscent of like the French Revolution with three judges, uh, one of which is the maid, mm-hmm. looking absolutely fantastic, by the way, in her sort of, uh, I guess... How do you describe? Uh, oh yeah, like Elizabeth the First or something like that. Yeah, she, uh, yes, yeah, she's dressed in that in in the in an outfit not dissimilar from the her outfit at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, but it's like regal. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's like her, it's like that, but like the regal version. Um. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's like um. The doctor uh, who we saw at the beginning doctor? of uh, yeah the the doctor from the beginning of the episode is Napoleon. Complete with sideways hat. Yeah, he's in a bicorn. And there's uh, Julius Caesar, who I guess is the town crier, uh, yeah. I think. Yeah, he's the one who yeah, calls for the carnival. Ridiculous uh, accent that I cannot describe, but I will uh, set, uh, I, will, I will give like a little preview of it here. A prisoner will be silent. This is a serious matter. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I hate, I hate, I hate his voice. His, his, his vibes are way off. What happens next? Uh, the, what happens next is you know the 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 trial is for the crime of owning a radio. Something I so so that that uh the the chickens have come home to roost, and that particular uh like plot line which was set up maybe about five minutes ago is now finally being resolved. Number six has the radio. He's delivered the rule. He's broken the rules and therefore must suffer the punishment. The defense is uh, basically like his observer is his defense, I believe. Um, no, the-, the defense. The defense is number two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 the yes. Prosecutor yes. is the, his yeah, observer. Yeah, yeah. Number two basically says like he's a human being. He's a small being. Can we please like? you know make him like can we can we offer him can we can we give him a slap on the wrist this time and then um give him a chance to become uh a model citizen basically and then like number six is like fuck you i'm not gonna do that i think he says like he'll be a he'll be a model citizen and number six says that no one will ever see because i'll be gone (laughs) um it's really fucking Silly number number six is annoyed obvi- visibly at all this b- bullshit going on, um, and then basically, he, he, oh, go ahead. 
Uh, yeah, uh, I think that like the system of like uh, what the uh, defense and the and the judge and the prosecutor thing is uh, is very reminiscent of like the stereotypical uh, depiction of uh, the like uh, Soviet uh, Stalinist court, uh-huh. where like the defense was there not so much to like get the client off, but to be like uh, to to give the impression. That like the the client is uh, uh, defended and that he will like uh, the the defense the defense like uh, advocate would say something like oh he is like uh, he is mistaken now but he will reform in time yeah like uh, yeah. so that like the question of whether he did it or not is not really in question. It's just like the the severity of the punishment is the thing under discussion. Exactly, and 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 no better no better part of the trial represents that than when the observer basically says number six had the radio. Number six then says, "Who saw me with the radio besides you?" And the observer says, "Number two saw you with the radio." And number six says, "How can my own defense be a witness for the prosecution?" <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. And so basically, um, uh, number six is fed up with this shit. He's like, you know what? I want to call a character witness. I want Roland Dutton to be my witness. A man who is about to die. He says, like, you know, like he's like, he's going to die, but I, I know he's about to die, but I want him to be my character witness. And then, um, number two leaves. And basically, she walks. She walks out of sight as like everyone sort of like gathered around the trial, uh, uh, who's observing this. Um, and so she pulls out a fucking jester, and this guy like she puts uh, him in a chair before all the judges, and the jester has like this like far away look in his eye. It's Dutton. Dutton is the jester. Yeah, it's it's a very mean sort of like demeaning costume, and he says absolutely nothing. Yeah. And then the court like uh, reaches the conclusion that uh, number number six is to be put to death effective immediately. Yeah. Number six breaks into a sprint in a, in a <laughs> sequence that you described in DMs as Monty Python. Oh, and oh. I would describe as Benny Hill. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Like, it reminds me of the segment in Life of Brian where the man is being chased by topless women, and then he falls off a cliff. If anyone is familiar with that, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Except <laughs> Patrick McGowan runs like a fucking ham. He he's like doing a little jaunt. He runs like 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 Commander Shepard from Mass Effect. He's like. <laughs> His arms are in perfect 90-degree angles, and he's, like, <laughs> shuffling his shoulders from side to side. <laughs> he looks fucking ridiculous. He escapes. Uh, he goes through a panel on the in the floor. He, uh, you know, goes through the trap door, and he goes down a set of stairs. Uh, he, uh, he goes... Uh, rather, he, go, he finds himself at a set of stairs. He goes up the stairs, and he... Uh, hides in this room full of like old furniture, um, and we cut to 
Um, there's like a teletype in in that room. Yes, uh, yes, there a, is. Yeah, like a th- automatic uh, like typing machine. It's uh, typing up something. He's yeah. like enraged at this typing machine for some reason. He like goes into its uh, like te- technical compartment and he tears out all the wires until it stops. Yeah. Number uh, number two walks in. Yeah. Uh, you, you can see like number two forty in the background somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she says that like uh, according uh, like according to all the witnesses, he is now dead. They think that he's dead. Yeah, uh, and number two forty is no longer his observer because she got too uh, too too personal with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says that like uh, she'll never win, and yeah. uh, she responds with like a mischievous laugh. Oh, then how very uncomfortable for you, old chap! And the teletype machine that he tore into starts typing again. Yeah, uh, just com- completely like calling his bluff, I guess. On brute force. Yeah, and uh, and the, the the final shot that actually made me laugh out loud was um uh her her face sort of like they they crossfade her face with his, and then he's sort of like freeze framed, and then we get iron bars clanging shut like a fucking Terry Gilliam animation. It's just like, like a foot might as well have come down from the top of the screen and squashed him. Like, like it, it, it was so fucking funny. And that's how the episode ends with number yeah, six. Love that ending. With number six in a room with a teletype machine and number two and they, and maniacal laughter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think that's actually the ending from for like uh, every episode from now forward. Not oh. the laughter part, but like the like his freeze frame face just advancing on the camera and then the bars shutting down. <laughs> uh, it's it's how Guilty. every episode ends from now on. That's so fucking uh, funny. That's ama- That's amazing. Yeah, uh, I really like this episode of television. I I think it's like full of zingers. Uh, it's. Uh, uh they like really like to uh have these like short lines that uh, characters ex- exchange that mean to signify more than they say outright yeah that, like uh, people can draw their own conclusions uh it's a neat little episode of television you had something to say about the like disorientation brought on by the random order of episodes did you not I mean, I think we pretty much just covered it. I like I think there's something about the watch orders and how there are so many different variations of watch orders that I think I'm kind of like interested into seeing like how like how um like the justifications for each of them because the only other show I can think of off the top of my head that has a particular watch order is the X-Files. The X-Files has several different watch orders and none of them I think encapsulate all of the episodes. So basically there's like the silly episodes, the monster of the week episodes and then there's the lore episodes which it's where it's mm-hmm. just episodes that deal with um Fox Mulder and Scully who are basically like like the like episodes that advance their storylines together. Um oh, and- uh you know, I, I, I think I remember a few more shows with like uh 
specific watch orders. Uh, one that like definitely stands to mind is uh, uh, the Melancholy of Haruhisu Dumiya. Okay, I'm not you familiar with that. No, I'm not familiar. Really, it was like a like a very very popular shonen anime from the 2000s. People well, I, well, I'm not, well, I'm not a weeb. That the, the simple answer is that I'm not a weeb. I'm 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 into I'm into um shows for for adults no no i'm I'm just i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> um uh, yeah there's like a the reason that harissa dumia has its own watch order is because there's like a sequence of eight episodes that's uh colloquially called endless eight in uh... which uh the characters are stuck in a time loop and they don't realize it and so the like the majority of scenes in the endless eight are just repeated like the same scenes repeated except with like new drawing and new angles and stuff oh. uh, uh, and so yeah uh, it's like a show that deals with time travel so yeah. uh, it's only natural for you to like uh, try to find a suitable watch order sure. for the record by the way uh, Patrick McGowan's official uh, watch order uh, and like you can take it with a grain of salt uh, because he's not really like he he got this uh, like he told this in an interview uh, forty years after the show was released. Uh, his uh, official stance is that there's seven episodes, including Dance of the Dead, that are like foundational to watching the show, and everything else is filler. Mm. Uh, so yeah, for 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 us to like uh, watch the show, we only need to watch these seven episodes. Interesting. Uh, we are not going to be doing that. We're going <laughs> to no. watch the whole thing and maybe something extra. Oh yeah, yeah. We're we're going to watch the. Uh... back and we definitely didn't record a segment between these two uh, <laughs> uh right uh so uh now that we're finishing with this episode um let's uh do our traditional segment of uh uh the village improvement yes yes every week we take a look at something that happened in the episode and we use what we learned to improve the life of the village and the village people who exist within uh, uh how uh, any ideas i think you should go first okay so this is inspired pretty much by um the 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 world of the carnival i think that carnivals are definitely a one way to uh placate the masses whether those masses are um uh, kidnapped and uh, uh, repurposed and reassigned spies, or you know, just a community of people, like-minded people coming together. So I've proposed a couple of other festivities. Uh, I've proposed um, uh, uh, winter winterween, which is a combination of Halloween and uh, Christmas. It's where you gift costumes to people that aren't racist. 
Uh, I've also <laughs> decided to go ahead and start adding in Easterween, which is uh, Halloween, but in Easter or in the springtime, because I don't know about you, but a, a huge bane of my existence growing up as a kid in Canada uh, was the fact that Halloween would happen only once a year, which was a, a crime in and of itself. But that would also take place during the coldest, one of the coldest times of the year. And so inevitably between all of the candy and the sugar and the poison and the razor blades and the weather, everyone would get sick <laughs> at the same time. And I just don't think that that's fair. So I think that we should move. We should have two Halloweens a year, one of them in the cold season so that you can have like, you know, your fur suits, your, uh, you know, your big elaborate costumes that, you know, will keep you warm in the cold time, but uh, that you're not gonna, and, but that, you know, that, but that you're not gonna sweat in. And then we have a Halloween in the springtime where people can have their slutty outfits and not have to worry about getting goosebumps and then getting the, the, getting the flu. So that's, that's, those are just simply my ideas. The village doesn't really have a variable climate, but I still think that it would be something that they would appreciate. Right. Uh, excellent idea. Uh, my idea is that uh, I think that the village should have uh, competitive corpse racing. Mm. Uh, where you would take a corpse and you would uh, fashion it to either some flotation device like number six dead in this episode, or perhaps to rover, or uh, to any number of transportation vehicles. And then you would race the corpses, and uh, the corpse that arrived uh, to its destination the most intact and the fastest would get the prize. Mm -hmm. Of course. I love that, because you know what? It's not only a way for us to normalize death, but it's also a great way for us to give those people who served their countries or, you know, made it till the very end, um, the dignity that they deserve. <laughs> exactly as much dignity as they deserve. And not, uh, a, and not a little bit more. Uh, yes. Uh, so... Uh, this concludes our episode of uh, Local Service Only. Uh, you can find me, Helga, uh, at uh, Hindsighty at uh, Cohost. You can find Joe where? Uh, you can find me also at Cohost, and you can just you can find me by searching at Bedroom Punk, one word, no hyphens, and. I'm out there. God damn it. I, 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 when I recorded the uh, outro to the previous episode, I recorded it early enough that you still had the hyphen. And yeah. then you removed the hyphen and made me sound like a fool. I'm not a hyphen. Uh, I'm a free man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, this podcast is brought to you uh, by noisepace.xyz. Uh, a uh, podcast network, home of great shows such as, uh, let me pull up uh, some great uh, noisepace.xyz shows, such as, check out this guy, Fear Beating, yeah. Dr. Ha, and uh, special, uh, sorry, Diet Cock, <laughs> fuck no, 
It's embarrassing how much I cannot pronounce the English language. Diet Coke and Lilith's House of Snacks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much to Matt GameCube. And thank you to Noisepace.xyz. Uh, we will see you next time. Oh, before uh, before we see them next time, what episode are we going to watch Fuck. next? Uh, I just I just opened this thing. Uh, we are going to watch Checkmate next. Ooh, very uh, good. Right, I am gonna have a mess of a time editing this podcast. <laughs> right. Uh, We'll talk to you next time. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. As a sweet little girl that was all for his own. He's never seen this side of my world. Cause I've lost all control. I wanna drive him crazy like he did me cause he did me wrong. All this behavior I'm projecting, it was really all his fault. Girl, I can show you what to do. Hypnotic, grab a couple balls from his wallet